0: Um, for, morning. for those of you that don't know me, my name's Matt. Um, I'm married to Liz, and together we lead the youth here in a small group. Um, and we have two boys called Caleb and Jonah. And this morning I'm carrying on our series about Old Testament heroes. Um, and I'm going to talk about Jonah. It's uh, nothing against Caleb. Um, there's probably just slightly more to say on the character of Jonah in the Bible nothing to do with actual Caleb. And I picked a photo that Lids might tell me off for because he doesn't look particularly cute and he's a bit of a mess. But I think that's probably quite a good summary of Jonah in the Bible and my sermon this morning. Um, So I suspect most of us have heard of the character of Jonah at least. He was a Jewish prophet from the 8th century. um, And I suspect we all know kind of some of the story. God called him to go to a city called Nineveh. He deliberately went completely the opposite way. Um, A big storm came on the boat he was on. He was thrown into the sea and eaten by a massive fish. The fish spat him out in the right direction. He then reluctantly went to Nineveh um, and preached the gospel as God told him to, which most of us potentially are familiar with that story. And so at first glance, it might seem that Jonah is a bit of a strange choice for my Old Testament hero, and also maybe to name our son after as well. Um, Because it's a bit of a children's story in the Bible, and one where the character of Jonah, we know much more about his flaws and his wrongdoings than any of his positive, which I think a lot of other Old Testament prophets, you sort of, you hear about the really good stuff and then you look a bit deeper and you find out they were kind of just like us underneath anyway. Um, but this morning I'm here to fight Jonah's corner um, and pick out two lessons today that we can learn from his life. And as I hope you agree by the end, Jonah's very easy to learn from because he is just like us. Um, but he was also called to go and preach the gospel to everybody, not just the Jewish nation. Um, And he makes all the same mistakes that we do, which is quite encouraging in a way. Um, In preparing for this, I've reread a really, really good book called The Prodigal Prophet by Tim Keller. It's only quite short, um, but that's all about Jonah, and I really recommend it. Um, The thing I've struggled with most is kind of narrowing down loads of the great stuff he says and picking what not to say. Um, before we get into it, I'll just pray. Father, I thank you so much for Jonah. I thank you for the account of his life and that you still speak to us today through people that lived thousands of years ago. Would you be with us this morning? Would you speak to us afresh? And would we encounter you and your love in a new way this morning? Amen. First of all, I think, if you haven't read the book of Jonah recently, I'd absolutely recommend that you do. It's prob- I think it's the second shortest book in the Bible. take you about 15 minutes. Um, so if I start to ramble, feel free to make a start this morning. Um, but also, you, for those of you in small groups, there might be a couple of rogue questions on bits of the book I haven't talked about this morning. So you've got a bit of homework to read it before Wednesday. Um, the book is written in a very distinctive style with um, like a very kind of poetic structure. It divides exactly into two halves, two chapters and two chapters, with the same three key themes that are even... And of represented down to verse numbers, which is quite impressive, given that when it was written, it didn't have chapters or verse numbers. But the, the structure is quite impressive and was very deliberate. And the three key themes are, firstly, God speaks and Jonah responds. Not always in the, the way God intended. Secondly, God issues a warning. Uh, the non-believers, the non-Jews respond. And then we hear about Jonah's response to the warning And then finally, we're told of the way that God revealed his mercy afresh to Jonah. And that that kind of pattern runs twice through the book of Jonah. And um, I've put kind of verse numbers on the screen. They might be a little bit small. Um, So open the book in front of you and you'll hopefully see where I'm picking verses out. But I'm going to talk about the first and the last of these three this morning. Something else that talks to how much is in the book of Jonah and how I'm struggling to cut it down. So to start with, let's look at how God speaks and Jonah responds. Right at the beginning of chapter 1, and again, this is the part we might be familiar with, God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah didn't really want to go. Instead, he got on a boat to Tarshish, which was literally the opposite end of the world, as far as the Jews knew at that time. At first reading, we probably think he was a bit of a coward, he was a bit scared. I suspect many of us already knew that about Jonah, and thought that if we'd heard the voice of God, we assume because he's an Old Testament prophet, it was a booming voice, but nothing tells us that but we assume that if we heard the voice of god telling us to go somewhere we'd be all over it that's quite easy that's quite an easy thing to do it would seem but context is really important here firstly to go to anywhere was completely unprecedented i think there were two or three old testament prophets before the time of jonah that had been given words about other nations and races and people but no one had ever been called to go outside of the jewish nation and preach the gospel to anyone else The Jews were God's holy nation, they were God's people. No one else at that point was saved. No one else at that point would have had anything to do with God. They would have had their own gods and their own systems. So it would have seemed bizarre to Jonah to go outside and to to speak about God. But God's request was a foreshadow of what Jesus was coming to do. And Jesus calls himself the new Jonah at one point in one of the Gospels. Jonah was a representation that the relationship with God will be opened up to all people. For the least and the lost across the world. And the Ninevites were definitely among the least. This definitely wasn't a holiday for Jonah. He wasn't being called to plant a new vineyard church in the Bahamas. God had asked Jonah to go to possibly the most violent and cruel nation that have ever been on earth. Nineveh was the largest city in the Assyrian Empire. At one point, it was also the largest city on earth. The Assyrians were full-on enemies of the Jews. And a Jew found preaching in their capital city, faced almost certain torture and death. The Assyrians were, and still are among historians, famous for boasting not just about military victories, but on the torture inflicted on their victims after those ba- battles were won. There are drawings found from the Assyrian time of kings gloating about skinning people and hanging their skins around the inside of city walls. They would behead people and put their heads on spikes and make their families parade around the city with their families' heads. And Jonah would have known absolutely all of this and he would have been terrified for his life. This wasn't just Jonah not fancying going somewhere a bit far away. Jonah would have also known that historically, when God called people to repentance or to change, they usually did and were reconciled with him. And that would have been something Jonah wouldn't have wanted or understood for the Ninevites. That coming together and becoming good and being like Jonah would have wanted justice and punishment for these people. Somewhere around the time of Jonah, the Assyrian Empire also invaded half of Israel. So it might have been, if that was before the time of Jonah, It's not kind of dates are not exact, but they would have been very personal for Jonah that, that these people have come against the Israelites and the Jews, and therefore they would have read that as coming against God. Verses 3 and 4 say that Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. For a second, let's just think back to our school days. And I suspect most of us probably did something silly or funny with our friends because it seemed like a good idea at the time. And when the inevitable discipline came from our parents or teachers, we might have said, oh, someone—it was, it was his idea, I did it because he said. Either because we thought that might reduce our guilt or because we actually did do it to impress that person. And at some point, I'm sure we've all had parents or teachers quickly retort, "Well, if that person told you to jump off a cliff, would you do it?" Which is always kind of slightly ludicrous. And Lids and I always laugh when we use parenting phrases to Caleb and Jonah. These kind of cliches. They're a bit ridiculous, and you feel a bit pleased with yourself for a second, and then you But actually, how often do we actually genuinely do things just because people tell us to? Probably not very often. Generally, we probably agree that it would have been funny at the time. Or even now, we agree we wouldn't do things just because people said, most of the time. But I think there are a few, um, there are a few um, sort of counters to that. Like doctors, for example, you go to a doctor and you're not very well, and they tell you to take this little white pod with a bit of water, and that'll make you better. Um, There's maybe a couple of us in the room who know a bit about that, but I wouldn't have a clue. Like I take that all on complete trust that the doctor and the pharmacists know what they're doing, and these little white pods aren't just like sugar cubes. Now, like, why should that make any difference? It doesn't make any sense to me. Sometimes what God calls us to isn't easy to follow. We don't understand, we don't see the rationale, we don't know why whatever He's asking us to do should result in any good, in anything for us, for anyone else, or even anything good for God. sometimes it's, it's really bizarre. It doesn't necessarily make practical or even theological sense sometimes. But if we trust God and we trust that He's good, like we trust the doctors we'd be more willing to do what he says without understanding, without explanation, and we won't run away like Jonah. I suspect we've all been there, we've all run away or avoided God in some measure. Whether we've heard him speak directly to pray for someone or to do something or to go somewhere or to change a behaviour, or whether we've just despaired at the situation we find ourselves in, whether that's not being able to find the right job or the up of a romantic relationship, or just feeling like we, we just haven't got enough money and why isn't God changing this? We think that God must have forgotten us. We must have missed a call from him somewhere. Or that we've done something wrong and he's punishing us. That he's not really committed to our good. And therefore, he isn't trustworthy anymore. So we withdraw a bit. We, withhold, we hide maybe. Maybe we pull out of church a bit or just our relationship with God. Very much like the younger brother in the story of the prodigal son who runs away He is escapism. He takes matters into his own hands and he runs away. On the other hand, if we go through something difficult or tough or God calls us to something we're not comfortable with, maybe we don't run away immediately. Maybe we keep up appearances in church or with God. We go along for a bit thinking that we're building up a bit of credit. We're kind of doing something tough, so times are going to get easier going forwards. Which is actually how Jonah reacts in the kind of reflection of the story in chapter 3 when Jonah actually goes to Nineveh, he does go, he does preach the gospel. He preaches what's a pretty short and pretty punchy sermon. I think there'd be some upset people if I preached what he preached this morning. But thousands of people respond. It brought about serious cultural change in Nineveh. Society was changed because of Jonah's short sermon. Thousands of people mourned what they'd been doing wrong. But his distrust of God And his belief that he was kind of going out of his way and therefore God owed him something came to the surface afterwards. He exploded at God for saving the people of Nineveh. He was cross that God had shown them grace because he felt like he'd done his bit and now God needed to, to do his bit for Jonah. Which again is very similar to the older brother in the story of the prodigal son, if you're familiar with that. He wasn't obeying out of love in that second half. He was obeying out of a way of earning love because again, he didn't quite trust that what God had for him was all good, all the way, he wanted to, God to fulfil his wishes as well, and I suspect that's probably something we can identify with again this morning. As Jonah was learning, oh, sorry, as Jonah was learning, when God speaks to us or leads us somewhere, sometimes it's hard to trust Him to remember that He's for us, that He wants the best for us, that He loves us in any situation. But what Jonah does learn, and we see his progression as kind of through the book although it doesn't finish on a particularly high note, but he does move forwards through the book, is that we have a God who loves us and who pursues us. He doesn't let our flaws or our disobedience be the final word for us. He didn't just let Jonah's choice to go to Tarshish be the end. The book of Jonah was very short and Jonah kind of cast out. He pursued Jonah. He went after him. The second thing is that we need to continue to integrate God into our lives, regardless of how we're feeling. Jonah has constant conversations with God. Sometimes initiated by him and sometimes initiated by God. But if we're not in that position of relationship with him, that's more difficult to do. And thirdly, we need to remind ourselves of God's grace and his love for us. How often do we think about the fact that the God who spoke and the whole world just came into being, has adopted us as sons and daughters, and he loves us? Each and every one of us is greater than any temple ever built because God now dwells in us rather than in temples which is bonkers when we think about how we think about ourselves sometimes. On the theme of God's grace, I'll move on to kind of the third um, theme within Jonah, which is how God showed Jonah more and more and more of his grace as he went with him. In chapters 2 and 4, we see Jonah praying and talking with God. And and kind of chapter 4 and chapter 2, he moves on showing a greater demonstration of God's grace. He's learning as we go through. And in chapter 2, Jonah had run away from God. He'd um, been been sleeping in the boat. A big storm came. He was kind of thrown over the side. And God appointed a big fish to come and swallow him. And he was inside the fish for three days and three nights. I think the combination of the, the terror, the fear for his life, he would have thought he was dying when he was thrown into the water. And then to be eaten by a fish, I mean, that's not giving you hope at that point, I would suspect. Also the smell and the time on his own to reflect. Led to what seems like quite a dramatic conversion in the fish. In chapter 2, Jonah's praying, and the end of his prayer, verses 7 to 10, says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah's prayer was one of praise. He was thankful that God had saved him, even though he was still inside the fish at this point. So salvation kind of to a point, I guess, at that stage. But he did eventually end up washed up on a beach somewhere. But And God brought Jonah back because he loved him, not because of this prayer, not because Jonah suddenly realized that God was the way forward, but because he is gracious. He put Jonah back on track. And similarly, at the end of chapter 4, so Jonah had just been and preached to the Ninevites. They'd listened, they'd, they'd dressed in sackcloth and ashes from the kind of lowest to the, to the highest in their sort of very class society. So they'd, they'd mourned their bad behavior. And God hadn't destroyed Nineveh, which is what he was threatening to do. And then we see Jonah having a conversation with God. Jonah is openly kind of debating grace with God in this conversation. And in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4, Jonah says, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live." In the middle of those verses, this is a kind of classic example of taking verses out of context for, I know that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Sounds amazing. It's that kind of praise. You kind of could put that on a postcard and post it on your Instagram. But actually, if you take the whole verse, what Jonah is saying is, God, I told you this would happen. It's an absolute nightmare. You're too gracious. You're too loving. You're too good. And you've not blown the Nineveh to smithereens like you should have done. I'm so angry. I wish I was dead. It's, it seems like a bit of an overreaction to me if we're going to wind back a couple of days, Jonah had received judgment in the forms of the storm and been thrown over the side of a boat and eaten by a fish He'd been redeemed by God, God had saved him from the storm with the fish he'd saved him from the fish with the vomit and actually he'd saved him in Nineveh. The people had turned back from what they'd done. Jonah had survived Jonah was was probably an element of a hero to some extent. we're not going kind to of have told much about the interaction, but he was by no means tortured and died, he lived to tell the tale. Jonah had just received redemption on so many levels in the last few days, And yet here he was full of anger that the Ninevites had not, had not sorry full of anger that the Ninevites had been shown the same grace. God was willing to spare even the Ninevites because they turned from their ways. But Jonah had a theological objection to this. This was, "These people are evil. they're coming against Israel. They're coming against you." I don't understand how, how you, the God of love, cannot be the God of justice for these people. In his mind, God was just for the Jews and not anyone else. Not least a nation that hadn't even converted to Judaism. It doesn't say that Nineveh they all became Jews. They just repented from what they'd been up to before. And he's, Jonah is seething about this. But it's important to see how God responds. Jonah's been through this path of kind of um, he got himself into trouble and then God had redeemed him and kept him on Kept him on path, which God could have kind of sat him down and lectured him about. I kind of look back over the last, even just two weeks of your life. I've saved you so many times. I've kept you going. I've brought about this amazing kind of social change in Nineveh through you. But instead, God almost gives him a little bit of space. Jonah sat in the desert and God sprouts up a plant to give him some shade. It, it would have been kind of properly hot. And so Jonah has a sort of day's rest in shade. Jonah, God then sends a worm that eats the plant and the, the plant dies. And Jonah has no more shade Jonah, this just winds him up even more. Again, Liz tells me off when the boys are in a mood and I just wind them up a bit more just because it's, it's just easier than trying to deal with them at that point. It kind of feels a little bit like God's like, here we go, he's kind of poking the bear. But actually, what this, this, is a, this is a live sermon illustration, this plant. God had a conversation he wanted to have with Jonah and he did it in the moment. And God spoke to Jonah as he was cross about the plant dying. He sat with him through his frustration. He heard Jonah. Jonah kind of rants again as he does. And God sits and speaks about his grace. He comes, comes alongside Jonah and he explains and he, he says something along the lines of, I've saved the people of Nineveh. It was through you. I sent this plant which you had no control of. You enjoyed its shade for a day and now you're angry because it disappeared again. But you, had, you never had any control over this plant. He was pointing Jonah back towards his grace again. Jonah learns at each step of his journey in his life more and more about the grace of God and how it just doesn't make any sense. This was a journey for Jonah, and I suspect this journey carried on through the rest of his life. Again, just like it does for us. Don't we need reminding again and again of God's grace and his goodness and how it doesn't make sense for other people and for us? And doesn't that often happen when we're down, when life feels rubbish, when we feel a bit disenfranchised with God sometimes? He does something in us or, or, or through us or around us. And, and it's a reminder that he still loves us, that he still pursues us. That he's not in it because of what we're giving back to him. We're not building up credit at all. We can take heart from the story of Jonah that we have a God that walks every day with us in our fleeing the opposite way or in our obedience. We can find grace in God in the most low tongues of our lives. When we feel like the scenario in the life we're in is rubbish and this can't be God's plan and I must have missed something or God's not good anymore. He's still with you. He works everything for our good, as the song we sang earlier said. And God sent the fish and the storm for Jonah because it was better than leaving him to his own devices. It was better than leaving him to run away. He sent things that on their own would have been bad and horrible for Jonah. to to bring him back to God. Whatever the problem is, God solves it with his grace. It abolishes guilt forever. It brings us back to him. We may be filled with regret or living with a sense of failure about what we've done or where we are in our lives. But it doesn't matter. If we were a hundred times worse than how we are, our sins and our bad stuff wouldn't be a match for God's grace. The Ninevites weren't a match for God. I think one of the things that, that impacted Jonah in his running away was a fear of failure as well, which kind of comes back, which ultimately ends up back at that. He was doing things for credit with God. If he failed, he felt like he then wouldn't be worthy. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have the ability to kind of deal with God in the same way. He'd be lesser in some respects. But God absolutely blasts it out of the water. Sometimes we really long to succeed, but we just want to be acceptable. We want our own, We want to be able to control our destiny and our efforts. Really what we're saying is if we do this, then I'm acceptable and God will accept me. But when we stop trying to steal that acceptance from other sources, we lose our fear. Salvation belongs to the Lord, as Jonah said in chapter 2. Only God can set us free from that. But when we understand that he loves us regardless, there's no need to come across as good. There's no need to achieve. Which I think ultimately, the book of Jonah finishes with a question and God asks him, can you not see... A paraphrasing, but can you not see that I've kind of shown this grace to the Ninevites and I've shown you grace as well? Why should I not spare the Ninevites? And then it just ends. And it's, if you, when you read the book this week as your homework, it's a bit of a cliffhanger and you kind of think, oh, it's like a really straight, you feel like there's a page missing from the end of Jonah or a chapter missing. Um, it's a bit odd. But then, actually, why do we know so much about the book of Jonah? Why was the story ever passed on? Why did, he, why did anyone ever write it down? And the reason big is because Jonah must have told people. He was on his own through a lot of this. The sailors threw him over the side of the boat, and from that point, he was kind of on his own with God. He must have passed this story down. He must have thought it was important, and he must have put the, the emphasis on all his flaws and his wrongs and all that stuff. He could have portrayed this as, I saved all the Ninevites, full stop, miss out the fish, and everything else. But because he encountered the power of God and his grace in such an incredible way again and again through his life. He was changed. He knew he didn't have to be good. He didn't have to succeed. He didn't have to accomplish anything for him to be acceptable to anyone as a prophet or to God or to the Jews when he went back to his nation. He knew that God loved him and he was accepted. And he was going to mess up and be rubbish, but that's just who he was and, and God loves him. And so if the grace of God can change Jonah, who literally ran to the other end of the world, and wished he was dead because God forgave someone, it can definitely change us.